This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Activists tried to prevent Marie Hennon from speaking after she defended Gian Gomeshi on sexual assault charges. Now the top lawyer is defending free speech. And three months into his new gig, we check in with Toronto's Poet Laureate. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Experts say buying supplements to improve brain health is like throwing your money away. A new report finds little value, but lots of expense with the so-called memory boosters. Funded by the AARP, the study by neurologists, nutritionists, and researchers found that the 25% of adults over 50 who take them spend up to $60 a month. It did point out that deficiencies in B12, however, have been associated with cognitive function problems, including dementia. A new CPR dummy of a female has been created after studies showed women are less likely to receive the life-saving resuscitation in public because bystanders are unsure how to navigate around breasts. The womanikin is a slip-on attachment that can be added to standard CPR dummies. Researchers say in all public cardiac events, CPR is only used 37% of the time but remains a successful life-saving technique. Zoomers working in big cities are more likely than those in smaller areas to put retirement off past the age of 65. A new U.S. study says it's the types of jobs in metropolitan cities, government, finance, law, and academia that keep Zoomers working longer. Boston College's Center for Retirement Research also reports that those older workers can be a boon to economies, delivering more consumer spending and providing expertise at a time of low employment. A British TV star is donating his BBC salary to keep television free for people over 75. The annual TV licenses, which cost about $260 Canadian, have been free for that age group, but the BBC announced it will start imposing a means test. Actor Ben Fogel says giving up his salary is the least he can do to help. Here's what 99-year-old Victor Gregg, a World War II veteran and former POW, had to say. I'm annoyed. I, I, I've stopped being angry about 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get you nowhere. longest-serving female MPP in Ontario history has died. 77-year-old Julia Monroe represented York Simcoe for the Progressive Conservatives from 1995 to 2018. In a statement on Twitter, Premier Doug Ford says Monroe was a tireless and dedicated advocate for her community and her province and is an example for all privileged to serve at Queen's Park. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world.
Marie Annan is one of the most renowned lawyers in the country. Recently, she took on the government, successfully defending former Vice Admiral Mark Norman on breach of trust charges. But it was her defense of former CBC host Gian Gomeshi that put her in the national spotlight. After that, activists tried to stop her from speaking on campus, accusing her of promoting rape culture, which is why she's the perfect person to speak on democracy and freedom of speech at Idea City. We chatted ahead of her appearance there. I think what you are seeing on campuses is a bit of a move uh, to be uh, disruptive of other speeches or to try to shut them down. And shutting down speech never really uh, benefits our democratic values. Uh, shutting down speech doesn't mean that it's not being heard by other people. And so engaging uh, with people whose views you don't agree with is much more uh, effective, uh, I think, in terms of exposing ideas you may disagree with and also uh, ensuring that ideas that are can be quite subversive are not just left to burble underground uh, and not exposed to, to challenge. You know, and I, I think the second thing is we have become uh, used to, particularly with social media, uh, that everything we say is very much uh, in an echo chamber. We only like to hear uh, people who agree with us uh, and hearing uh, opposing views that involve some measure of actual discussion has fallen by the wayside, campuses should really be one of the bedrocks of um, thinking and a lot of thinking that you may not agree with. It seems that students, some students, are demanding a, quote, safe space. Uh, I mean, some of the arguments against you at the the time uh, saying what you've said about women and victims and survivors in the past, it's such a disservice to students who are victims of sexual violence. I don't like to take those things uh, personally, and I don't think it's good to view them from a, 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 a purely subjective perspective. What, here's what I would say, though. Um, the idea of safe spaces, uh, there are, and there is this extraordinary thing that we can always do. We can choose not to listen. Uh, we can turn a radio off. We can turn a television off. We can decline to follow someone on uh, Twitter. We can withdraw our attention or we can choose to engage. Uh, so those are all things that are available to us as autonomous individuals that allow us to, uh, A, find safe spaces, and B, importantly, express ourselves in whatever way we choose. So I don't think that um, hearing somebody or allowing someone to speak whose views you don't agree with uh, renders a space unsafe. Do you think that the attacks on you were worse because you're a woman? I think uh, attacks on women are uh, always worse. Uh, I'm not the first female to do the work that I do to be a defense lawyer, a criminal defense lawyer. Um, and, uh, you know, I can tell you my partner, Dana Robitaille, who was uh, to speak at a university, was uh, driven out of it. And the year before, a male criminal lawyer who does very much the type of work that she does um, came and spoke without incident. 
So we are very tough, I think, on ourselves and on women. And I just think there are so many other battles that we women need to be fighting that we shouldn't be directing the fight at each other. Given that on the one hand, you have people who are trying to stop others from speaking, and then on the other, that any kind of public debate is so polarized, how how do we move forward with this? Well, you know, I think that's a really great question and a thing I've struggled with. But let me just take a step back. If you go back uh, to a decade or two, you would see that the people who were the great protectors of, of free speech were people who were um, on the left of the spectrum, who believed in it foundationally as very necessary to uh, other values and equality in particular, uh, it's odd to me to see the pendulum swing to have uh, people who are carrying the the torch for free speech to be people who um, are on the right of the spectrum, very far right on the spectrum, and, and suggesting that they are somehow the protectors of free speech. And I, I think when you step back, we sort of have been outplayed and outmaneuvered um, by allowing uh, that territory to be taken over. Uh, I, I think we really have to think about why it is free speech is so valuable and its connection to democratic values and its, and its direct connection to equality issues um, uh, across gender and race and not so quickly uh, give up on it. Because, you know, censorship is justified uh, in people's minds, depending on who's doing the censoring. But if you look historically, we know... Uh, that, um, you know, that can be a very different thing, what is viewed as offensive speech when you give over the power to censor uh, speech. So sometimes that means knowing that value that when you're hearing stuff that you don't like, that you find offensive, that you find objectionable, uh, the answer isn't to shut it down. Uh, the answer is to engage with it. Uh, to provide contrary views and to and to challenge it, and so that that's what I, I is of all of this most concerning to me is why it's finding its way on campuses, why we are becoming so precious and so offended so quickly, rather than being willing to engage. I'm really looking forward to your talk. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks, Libby. Take care. That was lawyer Marie Annan. She'll be speaking on day one of Idea City 2019. The topic, democracy and freedom of speech versus the age of surveillance and disinformation. The job only pays $10,000 a year, but it's a huge honor. In his first three months as Toronto's Poet Laureate, Albert Moritz has written verse to mark everything from a high school graduation to the anniversary of the Young Street van attack. He may be new as the laureate, but he's written more than 15 books of poetry. Sometimes a man feels a boy walk out of him and close the door. Then, turning to a window, the man can watch him, always growing smaller, a long way down the path that gently slopes across the city. One of the things the city wants to do is to bring artistic and especially literary events out beyond the core where there are various kinds of dedicated spaces for them and there are various kinds of commercial spaces. I could give you a long list of bars that are literary and music venues that constantly have poetry readings. 
And on the other hand, outside the downtown core, that's relatively rare. So to bring attention both to people who are writing out there and to find events, find ways to increase the number of events. So one of the things I was able to do right out of the gate was to create a poetry reading down in Leslieville with the cooperation of a great organization called East End Arts, who made a, uh, a liaison with a developer. They have a condo that they're calling the poet, trying to sell <laughs> the cultural ramifications, you know, of Queen Street East. And uh, so they thought they've got this beautiful, you know, right on the right on the street uh, presentation center. And you know what those things are like. They're beautiful and 12 people a week go through them, ever see them, right? So one evening we put a, a very nice poetry reading with some very challenging poets and some canapes and some champagne in there, thanks to East End Arts. And it was just a wonderful evening. What about in places like uh, Scarborough, Etobicoke, yeah, I've been out to judge a poetry slam at Wexford Collegiate the School of the Arts up on Pharmacy Road. Uh, just yesterday, I was um, uh, participating with students of five northern and north central high schools who have created an, an event called Walk with Excellence. This is through uh, the um, genius of Aita Sadhu of another book list store over on Bathurst. Seven years ago, she came to these schools and had this idea, and they've just taken it and run with it. And you just, you can't imagine the positive energy. They have a rally at one of the high schools up there, C.W. Jeffries, and then they walk to the gates of York University in order to celebrate that they're going to university, that they've graduated high school and encourage others to do the same. They asked me to write a poem. It's the justice that is coming, the only world that makes sense. It's the gift we will sing and bring as we walk with excellence. Do you have more to do with the younger demographic and older demographic? Is there a difference in the poetry they like? Well, there's certainly a difference in the poetry they like. Um, I hope I won't have more to do with one than the other. I would really like to reach out, and it's always important to encourage young people. And I think something that the Poet Laureate might do is encourage literary and poetic education and arts education in general in the schools in a climate in which it's always under fire, you know. I truly do think poetry is the pith of life, you know. Poetry, the art of verse, but also what it means when we say the poetry of life or the poetry of a movie, the poetry of a novel or anything like that. It means the essential, energetic, and beautiful essence. What would be the type of thing you would do with an older audience? There's many poetry readings around Toronto. Let me just mention that as one of the unknown secrets, probably one of the, the most colorful things about this city. Again, few people know about it who aren't in the community. But from about September through May, you could go to three or four poetry events in Toronto every single day of every week. It's a tremendously vivid and active scene, and believe me, colorful, if you get into it, full of characters. You know? <laughs> I so, can imagine. So uh, it's, just a, it's just a wonderful community. Well, on the other hand, 
like so many things, it breaks down into sort of like high school lunch tables, like the experimental poets go to their own readings and the more uh, classical or, or normal, you might say, kind of poets go to their own readings. Young people go to theirs, older and middle-aged people go to theirs and so forth. I would love to break through that somehow. I don't know if I can, but I go to all these things. I'm interested in all of them. I'd like to see them come together. Toronto is a poetry town. What are some other big poetry places? Well, in Canada, of course, Vancouver is a lusty rival. But some certain places uh, are small hotbeds, like uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick is a good example, and Halifax, Nova Scotia. I should mention Montreal, of course. It's got a really vigorous English-language poetry scene. But good places are Boston, Chicago, New York City, of course, London, um, it's fun to go to all those places. Edinburgh, Edinburgh is great. What should we be doing with all of this? Well, you know, I think with regard to poetry, it's a wonderful thing. What society needs to do for it is not so much for everybody to get interested in it, but to be concerned to leave it a place, leave it enough place. It's almost like the theater. Few people are going to go to the theater, but it's essential that there are theaters, that we pass theaters, that we know there's theater in there. And poetry is not unlike that. So respect the people who love it and pay a little more attention to it yourself. Al Moritz, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. It's been great to be here. That was Albert Moritz, Toronto's sixth Poet Laureate. That brings us to the end of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.